That's like the one. What? The Jerusalem Bible. No. No, I don't want to cancel. Are we ready? We're going to excuse my recording process. Okay. Parshas Nasso. It's the second Parsha in Chumash Bamidbar. It's starting in the middle of chapter four. The air conditioning is awesome. Okay. Huh? No, I'm just saying. Because in case she's like prepping for life, I'm going to freeze. It's not freezing. Okay. Fine. Yala, everybody Okay. Uh, so we're going to start off with the most obvious, or maybe not the most obvious. Maybe it's not the first thing. Oh, whatever. Doesn't matter. Parsha Snoso is the absolute longest Parsha in the whole Chumash. Okay. It is absolutely the 100% longest Parsha in the, in the Chumash. It is not the most jam-packed behavior-wise, action-wise. That's not the case. Um, it is totally, totally the Aliyah's five, six, and seven. Nusso, 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 Parsha's Nusso. Um, the beginning of the Parsha, okay, if we're going to break up the Parsha, the first two Aliyah's are one theme. Three and four are like and then five and six and seven is one theme, Okay. We're going to kind of start a little bit from the end. No, we're not going to start from there. We're going to start from the beginning, so we're going to finish everything in time. Um, uh, the reason that it's such a long parsha is because the end of the parsha is the gifts of the Nisim, the princes of each tribe. It goes back in time to the beginning of the close piece, to the beginning of the dedication of the tabernacle, when for twelve consecutive days each head of tribe brought a gift to the Mishkan, for the dedication of the Mishkan. Um, and if in, in, uh, in today's modern language, we would say you should have just do cut and paste and cut and paste. They did cut and paste and cut and paste. The only thing that's different for the last 76 verses is the name of the, the, name of the, of the Nasi, the name of the prince, and the name of his tribe. Everything else is identical. We're going to get to that when we get to the second half of the Parsha, but that is why this Parsha is so, 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 so long. It's not the hardest Parsha to lane. It was my son's Bar Mitzvah Parsha because the second half of the Parsha is literally eight verses that keep repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. He he did the whole thing and he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it was quite impressive. And as a mother, I was like, how did I not actually hear him do this? And he's like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Like, how do we trust him to get up and do it? But we did, and he did, and it was great. She did a great job. So happy, happy upcoming birthday. Birthday is this job again. Um, so that's the end of the Parsha. The beginning of the Parsha, okay, we're, that's really where we're going to start now. The first two aliyahs are going to be an exact continuation of last week's Parsha. If you remember last week, where did we finish the partial? Last week we were dealing with the counting and the count and the numbers, right? Sounds vaguely familiar. Thank you for responding. Um, uh, and this week, and this week's parsha is going to start off parsha's Nasso. Hashem says to Moshe, Nasso esrosh b'nei Gershon Ganim, lift up or count the heads of the tribe of, of the family of Gershon, also for their father's house, for their and, and according to their thing. And, uh, their family and their father's house, and they are counted from 30 years and from 30 till 50. These are this is the continuation. I don't know if anybody remembers because we kind of like glossed over it a little bit at the end of last week's parsha because we were shockingly enough out of time. Um, but last week we started talking about the three sons of Levi and um, how each family was in charge of a different part of transportation of the tabernacle. 
Sounds vaguely familiar, or did we not even touch it? We touched it. We touched on it. So last week, the family of Kahas is mentioned. We don't have their count here. That's in the parsha. We did have last week the count. We had the instructions to the family of Kahas that they carry the ark and the menorah and the altars and all the vessels that go along with it. They are not in charge of covering it. There were special covers that were made when they made when they made the mishkan. They made certain layers and covers for these things. The kohanim actually cover all the vessels, and then the Levites come in and they carry them. Okay, that was last week's parsha. This week's parsha, we're going to pick up with the family of Gershon, and they carried the curtains because remember it's a portable structure. So. All the curtains, the curtains of the outside, the curtains on the top of the, of the Mishkan, the curtains between the Holy and the Holy of Holies, all of the curtains, that was the job of the tribe of, not the tribe, the family of Gershon, okay? And then we're going to have the last, the last family that's going to be listed, that's going to be listed here is the family of Mirari, and they pick up 99 for them. And they, again, the actual service in the Mishkan is from the ages of 30 to 50. You do five years apprenticeship. And then from 30 to 50, you actually do the service. Um, and the family of Marari, their job was to carry all the sockets and all the beams and all the walls and all that stuff is the tribe of Marari, is the, sorry, is the family of Marari. So those three families together make up the tribe of Levi. And these are the jobs that they had. Um, so first of all, it's an interesting thing when when uh, when an actual straight idea is split into two Torah portions. It's it's clearly like couldn't you have moved one either move it one way, move it the other way, like they should all stick together. Um, and one of the things that they talk about in Hasidus is that really Kahas, the family of Kahas, is in totally even within the brothers is in a totally different class. The things that they're holding, the things that they're carrying, are the straight out flat super holy items. It's the it's. What's so funny? Okay, uh, they're carrying the menorah and the the ark and the table. They're carrying all the really super holy items. The family of Kahas, the family of Kahas. Okay, and the name Kahas actually reflects that. Okay. That was the end of last week's parsha. Was Kahas the last bunch of verses in the last week? Okay, so that was Kahas. They were in the last week, and they. You know, it's like all very nice and interesting, and that's like super wonderful. But like, what does it mean to us today? Because if if it's not relevant to us today, then the fact that they did this, the forty years that they were in the desert, is less interesting, to be quite honest. And so, obviously, and so in Hasidus it explains that kahas, the name of kahas, means to gather. Uh, uh, the, 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 I forgot the pasuk. Should have written down, but I didn't have that. The the place of um, of being gathered together is what kahas means. And there is, all of us have parts of us, maybe lots of parts of us that we could, we could argue that, but there are parts of us that we got it. Like we're, we're on point. We, we're, we're so connected to the holiness. Yeah, I'm sorry. What do you think kahas means? To gather. To gather. Possibly. Possibly my Hebrew is not good enough for that I had I even remembered a pasuk, no, but I don't, I don't know. No, no, it's kahat, kahat. Okay, so how does how does that how does that reflect does us? Really, when all all of me is gathered together, all of my talents and all of my abilities and my emotional traits and my intellectual traits and all this stuff, 
that makes me up is all unified, then I am, then, then, I'm, then holiness is accessible to me. Like I, I, you know, we sometimes wake up and like we're on point, that's kahas. That's a kahas moment when we're really, like we got it all together, that's kahas. The place of gershom, right? What does garish mean? Garish? To expel, to chase away, right? Garish at the Amahazot, sorry, sister Avram, send away Hagar. Garish is the place that we're struggling, that we know what we're supposed to be doing, and we are actively working to Garish. The things that we shouldn't be doing, the things that we shouldn't be focusing on, we are constantly in that space of expelling them and making sure that we don't let them in. And what does the family of Gershon carry? They carry the curtains that make up the boundaries of the Mishkan, right? They carry the curtains that are at the top. It's the protective layer that they carry. And what's their, what's their spiritual behavior? I'm making the boundaries. This does not come in. This does not come in. This does not come in, right? Murari, what's the root of Murari? Mar, like Miriam, bitter, right? Murari is a place in our lives. We don't have it together. Who? Murari carries the sockets. They carry the beams. They carry the planks of wood. They carry the, A, they carry the very physically, the very heavy stuff, but they also literally carry the foundations of the home for God. And sometimes there is a place where we aren't actually even, successful at keeping the, the the boundaries up but we're so frustrated and it bothers us so much we want to be better we want to do better we want and that place of we aren't even there but we want it so badly we're not just blase about it well whatever you know i can't do it so like but like that place of not bitter as in as an angry bitter but bitter as in a frustration place of like I wish, I wish that yearning to have it be different and to have it be better, that's the place that Marari represents. And when we even have that, if that is all we have, we're holding the foundations of a home for God. That's what everything is built on, the understanding that it shouldn't be like this. It could be different. It will be different. That's what the foundation for everything is. And so I guess my first brush for all of us is that we should understand that we're not one of the children of, of Levi. We have all parts of it. There are places in our life that we we have the kahas and we're really, and maybe it's not in a specific mitzvah, maybe it's a specific time. Like sometimes we really are on point and sometimes we're not. And all of those are different ways that we serve Hashem and that we interact with the world and with holiness around us. So that's my first bracha that we should be able to tap into all of those levels and to all of those spaces to, to really create a beautiful edifice that we're capable of doing. That's the first thing. That takes up the first two aliyahs. Um, the neck, the second aliyah is gonna actually gonna is actually gonna be the count. Meaning, in the meantime, Hashem said, count them, and this is what their job is, count them, this is what their job is, but they didn't actually count them. And then the second aliyah, they're gonna actually count them. Okay, and this is the count for the tribe of Levi, which we're not gonna go into the numbers of how many Levites are there from the ages of 30 and 30 to 50 who actually do this service. Okay, so that's the first Tolias. We basically had one idea there, right? Um, now, it's the actual count. Okay. It's the actual, right? It's like, it's like kind of one idea. It's like, we're finishing the end of last week's portion. We're, uh, and we're, yeah. 
I mean, one of the reasons that Kahas is in last week's Parsha, because it's really a different space to be so, so, so connected that we, and we are sometimes so, so, so connected, isn't, rel- isn't always our reality. And so that's really like, it's like another partial and say, oh, that's a whole different partial. Like it's a whole different conversation. Kahas really is a whole different conversation. Not that we don't access it, access it at times, but I'm not speaking for anybody else in this room, but it's definitely not my all the time go-to modus operandi of how connected I am. It's usually more of a struggle. So that's why uh, yeah, Garrison and Murray are together in a partial. Okay, chapter five, which is the third Aliyah. We're going to start talking about last week, we spoke about the building of the Jewish camp, how we have the Mishkan in the middle, we have the Levites behind, uh, around them, and the Israelites around them. And at this point, we say, okay, how do we keep the Jewish camp holy? We need to take anybody who, anybody who has different levels of impurity have to be sent out of different levels of camp. We know we spoke about the Mitzorah, but they get sent out of all of the camps, which means they would be past the camp of the Israelites. Um, there's three basic, let's say, categories of what's going on. Somebody who is uh, somebody who is uh, tame mace, somebody who comes in contact with the dead, is taken out of only they just they only can't go to. Uh, okay, let me just double check that I'm giving you correct information. Uh, um, Okay, I'm not I'm not seeing it here right now, so I'm not going to tell you exactly. Um, okay, three kinds of we have three kinds of tuma. One is Tommy May, somebody who comes in contact with a dead person, a zav or a zava, which is a fe- feminine or masculine kind of emission, and the third one is saras, and that's uh you know somebody who has mitzora. So the goes that. All of the camps, I could have mixed up those two. So don't quote me on those. It's the Zav and the, the Zav and the Tommy Mace. One gets kicked out, only can't come to the temple. One can't come to the temple or the Levite camp. And the, we know that the Mitzorah is out of all of the camps. That's kind of setting up how do we, how do we, uh, how we keep the camp, how do we keep the camp holy? That's like in four verses, we got that situation down. Okay, the next thing we have over here, starting from verse five and six uh, going on, we have the conversation of somebody who, um, it use, it, okay, so speaks to the, to the people, a man or a woman who does any kind of sin, lim ol ma'al bahashem, to, who has an English, because I don't have English here, verse, chapter five, verse six. To be, to be found guilty. Okay, so there, so, so here we're talking about, okay, there's two things that are going to go on over here. First of all, we're talking, and it's going to continue in the next Pasuk, that if somebody, if somebody steals, and, um, and originally they swore that they had not actually stolen, um, so, right? And then it turns out that actually I did. Actually, I did, right? So the in, in Pasuk Zion in verse seven, it says that if you confess your sin, um, then you need to return what you stole plus another fifth. So if you stole a hundred dollars, you have to get $125 back. It's a fifth over the whole thing. Um, and then you get absolute atonement for your soul. 
get a tone for your soul. Okay. Um, if somebody steals and they said, you stole, and they take an oath in court that says they did not steal, but they in fact really did. So when they decide to confess that they actually did, so they actually need to confess that they say that they did it. And then they pay, they have to give back what they stole plus a fifth. Now, if somebody doesn't, doesn't say that they did it and doesn't ever want to uh, admit to it, they don't actually have to pay the extra fifth, right? Which is an interesting thing. Why, then why would I confess? Why would I just not just stay quiet and get away with whatever it was? But the Torah is telling us that if you do put this confession, if you do say confess to that, that you stole and you pay this, you return what you stole and you pay this fine, it's a kapara, it's a total atonement for your soul. And it takes a very brave space to be able to step into that and say, yeah, I really did something wrong and to, to do, um, and, to, and to, to, you know, to step into that space and say, I did something wrong and I'm going to own up to it and I'm going to take care of it. And then I will become, and then I will get kapara. Now, what's very interesting is that, um, that, the, that Maimonides uses this verse as his proof text for the fact that we need to confess our sins. Now we do not confess our sins to other people. Okay. That's just not, that's not how we do it. We know that on Yom Kippur and on the certain days that we say, Tachanun, we, we do Ashamnu, Bagadnu, that list of sins that we do that you say out loud. But if somebody on Yom Kippur is like, you know, on Yom Kippur, we have a long two per letter situation going on. Um, so all those we say out loud or as loud as we want to say them. But if somebody's like, oh, I, I really know I did something beyond this. It's not on, what I did isn't on this list. You don't say that out loud for another person to hear. That's between you and God. Unless you have an, an offense against another person, then you need to go to them and apologize. But if it's something that you did between you and God, other people are not meant, that's not for other people to hear. But the place that we do need to have confession is brought from this, from this, uh, from this, from this, from this over here that we have to, we have to confess our sins, and it's specifically here talking about stealing. And one of the things that uh, that Hasidus explains, like, what's the connection between confession and stealing? Like every single sin that you ever do, there is a mitzvah of confession. Every sin that you do, is, yeah, right. We always have it for everything. So why do we learn it out from stealing? And and Hasidus explains that at the end of the day, everything that we have is a resource from Hashem. And when we misuse it, we're stealing that resource from Hashem. Any sin that we do is is a is a is stealing from Hashem. He gave us you know, whatever it is, whatever sin that it is that we could possibly do. At the end of the day, we're stealing from Hashem because He entrusted us to not do whatever he told us not to do. And then we did. And that's in effect, we're stealing from Hashem. And so that's why, that's why Maimonides learns the, one of the reasons it's given. Why Maimonides, my, say this quickly, why Maimonides learns the laws of confession from the laws of stealing. Interesting thing. Okay. Then it goes on to a conversation that if a person has nobody to return, let's say some you stole from somebody and the person passed away and they don't have anybody to, um, to give it back to, they don't have any any ears or whatever. So you bring it back, you bring it to the carbon. Sorry, you bring it to the mishkan, and it goes to the, uh, you, it goes to the kohen. Okay, and Rashi says, who's the kind of person? Who's a person that has no nobody to inherit from them? And he talks about it, somebody who converted and who maybe doesn't have children. So if they don't have any. Somebody who converts is not considered blood related to the family, even if they converted with their family, and so therefore they don't 
unless there's a will written, they don't automatically inherit from each other. Does that make sense in English? Wait, what? So, I was say, I, I don't know if that made sense in English. So if a whole family, converts, a whole family converts, they're not they together? still can't marry each other. Okay, I wanted to say, they still can't marry each other. Huh? But they're not technically. They're not halachically. They're not, not halachically. They're no, they're not halachically family. So if in so so if in halachically. If a mother and a child convert, then they're halachically not. Considered family, family. yeah. Does that make any sense? Because when somebody they convert could, technically separately. Wait, so does that mean they can't touch their parents? No, 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 no. That's not what it means. But it, what it means is this. What it I means. Mean, it does happen. I just said it. No, what it means is, well, probably halachically you could marry each other, but you shouldn't. I don't know. I made that up. I don't know if that's actually. I don't know if that's actually true. I just totally made that up. But no. But, but the reason. But the reason the place that it has halachic ramifications is specifically here for inheritance, because in general, inheritance is a funny thing in Judaism, right? Um, we all know we're all women sitting around the table. We all know that according to halacha, women don't inherit. Okay. No, it has to be given as a gift. So if somebody has a will, you can give whatever you want to whoever you want. But in halacha, if somebody if somebody dies, a person who inherits from them is their spouse or their male sons or their brothers. Like it goes according to a, a, a male line of unwritten inheritance. Okay. So what happens if somebody doesn't have any of those pieces? What if you don't have any brothers, you don't have any sons, you don't have, you know, like that's, that is the same kind of conversation that's going on over here. So in halacha, you would, the question is where do the women fit into the picture? So in a specific case where somebody's like, there's only family fights over money when there's money. Like there's no fights about money in a family that doesn't have money, but, but in general, um, right? Um, but in general, that's why people should have wills because we should all live and be healthy for 120 years. But for state reasons and for halachic reasons, you should have a will so you can give whatever you want to whoever you want. Okay, that's so that's that's just a random interesting thing that's here over here. Okay, and then it talks about truma, and it talks about bringing trumas to uh, to a kohen. Did I answer your question? Did I not answer your question? Eh, okay, I could live with an eh <laughs> because yeah, there's yeah, believe it as an eh. Did you have a question? And did I answer your question? Oh, uh, I just said job guy if like the parents first and it's after I you know what? Take it up with your LOR. I definitely am not the most knowledgeable person on this on this subject. Absolutely local Orthodox rabbi. Oh letter of recommendation. Letter of exactly. Well, would they help you with this information? No, so go to the other one. No, no, that's no, no, that's not the question. That's not a question. If the children convert after the parents, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know the answer. Um, Let me know what the answer is, and that'll be more on. Um, right, and then and then we have this thing that you sorry. It tells us that we have a truma, a gift, a gift to the kohen that we bring to uh, the kohen, and Rashi points out that that is a gift of bikurim because it's interesting that in general we in an agricultural society which Israel was and you had to give tithes of your produce, you had the gift of giving it to whoever you wanted to. You didn't have to give it to anybody. You gave, I had to give truma, I had to give mice or whatever it was. I could give it to any Kohen or lady that I wanted to. Nobody could come to me and say, I'm a Kohen, you have to give that to me. You have, what, what's it called? I mean, there's an expression like that in English, I don't remember. Like you have the right to give it to whoever you want and sort of get the benefit of like, 
this is my friend who's a Kohen, this is my friend who's a lady, so I'm going to give them that stuff. The only gift that we don't give to a specific Kohen is Bikurim, which is the first fruits that we bring. That gets brought to the Beis HaMikdash, and whichever Kohanim are on duty are the ones who get that gift. So here's so I'm going to bring it to Hashem, and that's talking about, so Rashi says it's talking about Bikurim, because that's the only one that we don't have the right, like you don't get the benefit of giving it to everyone. Wait, so that Bikurim is here. Mikurim is here, is here. Right. Bringing it to Hashem. It this is the one, this is the one we're talking about. But not the extended. Not I mean, I get it's different because you don't get to choose whoever you want. But why do we care about that in the context of this partial? So so this interesting. We have two things that take up a lot of the parsha, and then I'm here is we're now in the third and fourth aliyah have a lot of things, and we're looking, we're saying, how does this all work together? So Nusso usually it usually comes after Shulis. It sometimes comes before Shulis, but Midbar is always before Shulis. So for us here in Israel, Nusso is coming before Shulis, but in the diaspora, it's not. It's coming after Shulis. It's so it sometimes isn't. It sometimes isn't. But Midbar is always before Shulis. So the first, so so we're we're having like we're like what's this what's this stream of consciousness going on over here? We're gonna to try to figure it out a little bit. Uh, we skip over the one about the wife drinking water. No, we're that's where we're going now. We're before. Huh? It doesn't say. It says the whole true malachol kachibinezrol verse ten, chapter five verse ten nine. Sorry, chapter five verse nine. Yes. Okay. All the whole true malachol kachibinezrol asher yakrivu lakohen lo yeh. And that's. And, and Rashi it's says, to, it's referring to, yes, it's referring to. Referring to the, the To be current. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you do have the right to give the trumas and the maishas to anybody that you want to. Okay. okay now remind me why that's in this context. Why is it related? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. And I don't know, I don't know that I know the answer. For, I mean, one could argue, or one could say that we're talking about Levian and their jobs, and maybe it's some kind of segue. I, I don't know. You know, maybe because it's interesting because they, they all question why do we have these laws of stealing that we did right before are written in by Yikra in great detail. They're, Rashi says they're here to add two little laws. And so maybe there's a segment because one of the laws is that somebody who doesn't have a way to give the restitution to goes to the Kohen. And maybe this is the this is also something that's being given to the Kohen. I don't know. I made that I made up that com- that 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 it. It may or may not be. Why do you say it's repeated? Because it gives more details. Again, Rashi says it's repeated. For, it gives two, two more details here. Okay, now the fourth aliyah, which I did last night, is very long and has a lot of details. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to have over here is um, the first thing we have is a, is a story of the Sota. Okay, what's the Sota? The Sota is a situation of a woman who's married. Um, this is, here's Rifkamari's editing. <laughs> Over here, this is the editing part. Who has a bad relationship with her husband? Okay, and at close editing. Um, and she's still gonna die. So she may not. No, 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 no. She's no, no, no. Super, what? Super, super blessed. If, if no, what's that? What happens? What happens? What happens? She's either dead or super uh, exactly. She's either dead or super <laughs> blessed, blessed, right? So okay, but I want to say something. So what we know what happens. Her husband says, "Honey, I'm so uncomfortable with your relationship with your boyfriend from." from college, could you just meet him in Starbucks? And she's like, we're gonna go to Motel 6 and we're gonna play backgammon all night, right? So nobody knows what happens. The thing with Asota is that nobody knows what happens. We don't know that she sinned. And she's like, we did nothing. We sat talking all night long. And he's like, I don't believe you. 
And that's really where the conversation, when I say they come from a bad relationship, here's a, co- here's a couple, they should probably be in therapy, right? And he, instead, he doesn't, trust her. he doesn't trust her and she doesn't respect the fact that he doesn't trust her. Mm-hmm. So we're not having a conversation like, like, what's going on? And she also sort of is, her behavior is not just not respecting him. She's like, he's not saying, she's acting very, she's act, not that she's acting suspiciously. She's secluding herself with somebody specifically who her husband asked her not to be, not to be secluded with. So he's not saying don't be together with, with this person in public spaces. And he's not saying don't be, you know, don't be, don't go with any men. But it's also possible that he's suspicious of a guy who she has every reason, maybe, maybe they're colleagues. And, and actually correct, correct, work together. Correct, 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 correct. It's no, uh, again, so again. Request, what? Like his request that she not see him could be unreasonable. Was, no, she's not, he's not saying not to see him. She's yeah. saying not to be secluded with him. Secluded with him is not being alone. Secluded. They had a business trip. Correct. 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 So, so here, here's the situation. He's suspicious of her. She's like, I don't really care. You know, like nothing's happening. We're just friends. And, and they have witnesses that say that they were secluded long enough for them to have had relations with each other. And she's like, I did nothing. I did nothing. And the, what? And, <laughs> and then, um, and so the whole conversation then she gets, he brings her to the coin and they have this whole process where she, he's trying to get her to confess because what the, the end result, as Zoe and Noah pointed out, is that she's going to end up drinking water that comes from the cure, which was the cure, which was made of the gifts of the women who use their mirrors to seduce their husbands. So there should be a, Jew, a Jewish people to redeem. What's it? You take water from the cure. You take dirt from the floor of the... Of the Mishka of the, of the, and then you would take Hashem's name, his 42 letter name that was written out on a piece of parchment. There was no paper. And they would put it in and it would all get dissolved together and she would drink it. Really? Why dirt? Uh, totally dirt. Huh? Because the screen is there. Well, the screen is really is also in the water, but and the screen is in Hashem's name. But part of the conversation about why the dirt is because the one of the things that we're trying to say to this woman is that this is very normal. Dirt is, okay, today, dirt in our houses is not so normal, I would say. Like that's, you could up your cleaning skills a little bit if there's like lots of dirt around in your house, unless you're like doing some specific project. But back in the day, exactly, we're going to go near a construction zone. But like dirt in your relationships. Not just dirt in your relationships. This type of, these desires are very normal, but they still shouldn't be picked up. It doesn't have to be picked up. There's lots of things that are normal and that are all around us. Desire to hang out with men who are not again, bon again. You know, it's still it's it's normal. Nobody, you know, you're not like this weird crackpot. But still, we shouldn't be doing it. And and really, kind of trying to remind her of this place of holiness within within marriage. Um, you, Zoe, your point is like dirt. You know, dirt is there's dirt all over the place. Yeah. You know, during marriage, and and she drinks it. And if she's guilty, that she she and the person she had a relationship with are going to both die. Okay, and if she's not guilty, then she will be super super blessed. This is the only thing in Torah that we have that we are one hundred percent relying on a miracle for adjudication. This has nothing, and we're not supposed to rely on a miracle. This is the only thing. There is no way for anybody to know what happened. Unless she says, 
yes, you know, we did something. There's no way for anybody to know. So what we're doing is we're putting together a situation that we are 100% relying on God to intercede and to come into the conversation and say, yes, yes, no, no, which is an interesting thing. We don't, we're not supposed to rely on miracles. And if you want to know how important is a good marriage and how important is shalom bias, God's like, I will let you rely on a miracle to prove it. You're, you, this is, we're not talking about an optimal couple over here. We could have sent them to therapy. We could have sent them for anger management. Like there's a lot of stuff. That's no, correct. It's still that idea, right? But, and Hashem says, and, you know, like, it's not like we're saying, oh, this Sadekis and Sadik couple. And no, we're talking about somebody who's so jealous of his wife. He can't contain himself. The Gemara, there's a whole Gemara on Sota. It's actually in, in Chabad, they have a custom to learn it during Sphere because it's 49 pages. And so they learn one page every day. Um, there's, a whole, there's a whole conversation. He isn't, he, the, the default is not, oh, call your wife up on suspicions of Sota. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. And yet, here's somebody who did it. And then we're moving forward and moving forward. And she's not, all of the pieces are not a healthy, happy place. And Hashem's like, but it's so important for me that we have clarity and that we have this, if this family, you know, can this marriage be saved, um, then we're going to do it. And if not, then, then Hashem says, count on me for a miracle because it's, because it's so, 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 so important. So, of course, I want to say parenthetically, or maybe not so parenthetically, SOTA only works when everybody involved is really good people. And as soon as, as soon as adultery became the name of the game for everybody, he can't be an adulterer and call her up on adulterous char charges. Like it doesn't work like that. If he's, if he's sleeping around, then he, he could bring her to the, to the, to the coin and nothing's going to happen to her because, you know, the expression of the, the pot calling the kettle black, like, Wait, so even if she is guilty? If she's guilty, but he's also sleeping around, then nothing's going to happen. She'll drink the water no and more. nothing's going to happen. No blessings, no curse. She's for sure not going to die. Is she going to have a, is she going to, is she going to have a blessing? I don't know, but, the, but the, 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 I would say yes. I would vote. Give her the blessings. You went through this whole situation. You uncovered her here. You embarrassed her. You slept her. You, you exhausted her. her yeah, yeah. Part of this is to uncover her here. So there's like this whole, and she's standing in a very public place. You have this whole thing. I would say, yeah, give her the blessing. But, but, and that's why towards the end of the, of the, of the second temple period, they were not, you couldn't call anybody up on soda charges because the moral level of the, of the whole community had gone so down. Like there's nothing to talk about over here. Okay. So it, yes, but you're still not allowed to sleep around and you're not allowed to sleep with people who are married to other people. Oh, oh, and what happens to she's married. If he sleeps around, you better be married to all of them. It's not the husband sleeps with someone else's wife, it's in the wife. No. No. It's on both of them. Yeah, but the what? Why is she responsible at all? Why is she responsible? Because maybe she slept with somebody? No, but if the man sleeps with another woman, why is it his own wife responsible? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think is that what you're saying? That's what you're no, saying? I'm, what I'm saying is that husband's someone else's wife, yeah. then it's usually someone else's wife who gets punishment. No. No. The, 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 so here, in this particular case, let's say with our Sota here, they both are going to die. Wait, what, if, what do women do if they suspect their husband? So right now... No, because it's not going to... No. Well, the question is... is right. 
Right. No, it's 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 a good question. I it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Zoe, I don't know the answer to the question. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to the question. Huh? It's the other way around. Right. She said, "What if he's sleeping around? He's not married to these people, and he's at home." I don't know the answer to the question, but you can't. They don't take him to. He doesn't get to drink the the question. She's still can force it though. Yeah. Although, what if she's no? She suspects that she's no. I don't know. I don't know. Hire a pri- <laughs> hire a private investigator. Um. Uh, if she, if, if somebody, if, if a mar- if man, a married man and a woman, a married woman, if they're going to end up sleeping together and she's getting called up and so the charges and she's guilty, they're both going to die. That's part of what's going to happen. When she's going to, she's going to die and the Torah describes how her, everything's going to explode. It's going to happen to him as well. It's a pretty terrible death. It's a pretty, pretty terrible death. Um, and, uh, oh, so, so if it's, it hasn't been going on since the end of second temple period, like, so what do we learn from it, right? Obviously that's always our question. What do we learn from it? So uh, so we know that we're coming up to Shavuos and in Shavu, one of the things we know about Shavuos is that it's the marriage of Hashem and the Jewish people. Okay, so Hashem is the husband and the, and the Jewish people are the bride. And in this particular case, Hashem gave us a warning. He warned us, do not have any other gods before me. And therefore... Uh, when we sometimes look like we are straying from Hashem and we're secluded with things that are values and that Hashem does not, you know, look, you know, we've been in Gullus for such a long time and it's very possible to look around and say, we're so not, like, who still cares about mitzvahs? Who still cares about Hashem? Who still cares about Torah? And then when we get tested, we're like, no, 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 we're on the God team. Like, and the only reason that we have the ability to get the blessings of being on the God team is because God said, don't have any other gods besides me. He, he warned us. He put us in that position of us, all the Jewish people being like the Sota woman. And if we, 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 and we say, we didn't do anything. We only believe in Hashem. We only try, like our relationship was with you. And then Hashem's like, you know, let's prove he it. Jerk. <laughs> he jerk. <laughs> he jerk. <laughs> get blessed drink drink holy water and get blessed because at the end of the day the fact that any of us are sitting around this table and we're still doing mitzvahs and we're still learning torah and we're still trying to develop a relationship with hashem is proof that we're still connected and we didn't do anything and we never betrayed hashem and we never left him and we never you know we're still very loyal and dude like bring it on already like enough of this like stop stop calling us out on this. Let's have some redemption and we'll show you how much we love you, right? Um, so that's that's the SOTA situation. Yes, ask me. Your analogy. I mean, okay. the marriage between the Jews and the Shabbat. Um, you're saying that when people don't keep mitzvahs and Torah, that is like having another God. It looks like we have, it looks like we have another God. It looks, we all know at the end of the day, we, we all... We're you know, included with their money, and we love our money. Say, as a random example, or bones, or whatever, all different kinds of stuff that seem to be our first love. And Hashem's like, "Where am I in the picture?" And we're like, "No, no, no, really, we love you. We really do. We, we, they mean nothing to us." And really, at the end of the day, and and this is where the difference is between the Sota in biblical times and us is that we really didn't do anything. Like, dude, you put us in exile for 2,000 years. You haven't shown your revelation to us for so long. Be glad we're doing mitzvahs. You know what I mean? Like, really, this is pretty amazing that anybody's doing any mitzvahs today. End of Rick Margaret's rant for today. 
Um, um, so here we have, so that's the SOTA. The next thing that we're going to have over here, it's a long conversation about the SOTA. The next thing that we're going to have is uh, from, uh, uh, from, it's going to start in chapter six, that if somebody wants, a man or a woman who wants to make a neder and become a Nazir, who wants to become a Nazirite, talks about the restrictions of a Nazirite, that you're not allowed to have any grapes, grape products, you have to grow your hair and you're not allowed to come in contact with the dead. And what's very interesting, no, 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 no. So the Nazir starting from chapter six, um, the Nazir in, in behavior is very similar to a Kohen Gadol because a Kohen Gadol is not allowed to go to any first degree relative um, uh, funerals. A Kohen can. The only, co the only person that a Kohen Gadol and a Nazir go to, the only funerals they go to is a Mace Mitzvah, somebody who dies and they don't know, they have nobody to bury them. And so they, if any people to be part of that, then a Kohen and a Nazir would go to that. And, and, if, and, you, and you set a period, I'm going to be a Nazir. It's, it's, we had a different, in Vayikra, we had a whole, a whole section on the Durham where people take vows to strengthen themselves in certain behavior. So somebody who has issues with anger, says, every time I get angry, I'm going to put $10 into the stuff box, right? I take a vow that that's what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do that. So that to sort of strengthen yourself, a vow is a way of giving yourself, strengthening yourself in a specific area that the vow gives you more power that I'm not going to do this. It's not just, oh, I'm not going to eat chocolate anymore, but I'm like, whatever. Um, another is a very specific vow. It comes with very specific specifications. And you don't get to choose, I want to be a Nazir, but I don't want to do this part of it or that part of it. It's like, it's an all or nothing situation. An interesting thing about the Nazir is that um, it's like a complicated conversation. Like, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing, right? Like, you think like, there's such a holy person and they're being so careful about, you know, wine and this and all these kind of things. And yet at the end of the day, whenever their time is up, whenever their period of, Nizirut, it's called, is up. The minimum is for a month. Um, you could do it for a year. We have some who are, anybody know famous Nazirim uh, that we had? Famous Nazirites, anybody know? Shimshon, right? Shimshon Agibor, Samson was, and anybody else? Shmuel, the prophet Shmuel, was Nazareth, was a Nazirite from birth. His, mother's, his mother made a vow for him, and he's, he's a Nazir from birth. Um, and the question really is like, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And one of the things that we said that the Torah tells us is that when your period of, of Nizirut is over, you need to bring a carbon chatas. You need to bring a sin offering for having, you know, so clearly there's something not part, not good part over here. And part of the things that like that in you know some of the more modern, you know, commentators talk about the idea that a Nazir tells me, I am not part of your community. I'm not there for your good times. Right, because I can't, uh, I can't drink wine, so I'm not coming to your parties. I can't be there when you're, you know, in your sad times because I can't come in contact with the dead. I my hair is all grown out and looking unkempt because um, you can't even brush it because you're going to pull out hair. So it's not just you can't get a haircut, you can't brush it, so you can't pull out hair. It's like it's the whole thing about the person makes them say, "I'm I'm not part of your community." And when they are ready to come back into the community, they actually do need to bring a carbon. They need to bring a chattis. They need to bring sin offering that says, okay, I'm ready to come back. Like it was, it was necessary for me to take this space, but at the same time, 
it wasn't necessarily a very good thing for me to do. It wasn't a, a completely good thing for me to do. And that's why he has to bring a chathis, he has to bring a guilt offering because it was something lacking in the whole behavior. Okay, and the last thing that we have in this aliyah. Okay, so there's the point so, is to like separate yourself from physical things to become closer to Hashem. Yes, yes. And Rashi says that why do you have Nazar next to Sota? Because if anybody would see a Sota, you know, in her, you know, see a Sota in, in action, um, uh, you know, the base of Mikdash being called out as a Sota, they would absolutely 100% go and become a Nazar. Like if that's what happens with wine, if that's, you know, the effects of drinking wine with Arivo, I'm going to stay away from wine. Like you see it and it, what? Yeah. And it's interesting, and it's interesting that Torah acknowledges the power of a visual, because when you learn this intellectually, the Torah doesn't say when you learn about what happens to a sota, this is what's going to happen. The Rashi says that when you see it happen, when you see somebody getting punished for uh, being called out as a sota, your reaction to the visual demands behavior. It doesn't, it's not from the intellectual part of it, but you saw something and it demands change on your part, which I think, I mean, is, which I think is a very powerful thing. No? Uh, no, it's just, I mean, it's reaction, basically it's reaction to seeing such a horrible mess in like the physical realm, right? That you want to um, retreat from, like distance yourself from that. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, but um, listen, for example, right, in, 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 in marketing, it's, it's interesting. I just noticed this here. Um, the cigarettes in Israel are all sold in the same package, the same wrappers. They, they're not allowed to have like pretty wrappers anymore. They're all the same black. They all have the oh, warnings. Scary. Like they all look black, like whatever, right? Cigarettes. Oh, cigarettes. cigarettes, right? Um, everybody knows. Everybody knows that cigarette smoking is bad for you, right? But when does somebody, when does a smoker say, oh, I really need to, you know, when... Either when they see a big warning, when if there was a time when in America when their family member gets lung cancer, when they used, there was a time that they wanted to put pictures of lungs on packages of cigarettes, mm -hmm. and the and the and surprisingly enough, the the cigarettes companies fought that, and they just have a big warning, right? The visual, the visual makes you say, "I need to do something." It's not intellectual. I knew this all along. I knew this all along, but actually seeing a visual says, "I need to change my behavior." Um, so that's it's a similar idea that here's somebody who saw Sota and is like, oh my gosh, this is terrible and I have to do something. So it's not just, it's, I, I think it's so interesting that Torah is saying that the visual has to lead to, lead, will lead to a behavior, a behavior change one way or the other. And I'm going to say that if it happens in the negative, it should, we should be able to also see that in the positive, that when we see people who are living, you know, good, uh, wholesome lives and we're like, oh, that's that's kind of neat. I would love to have some of that. Um, then when do we take steps into that space to say, well, so how do I make that happen? Right. Just like the nuzzer is like, ah, I can't hear that. How do we take steps in the positive when we see something that we do want to have? How do we, you know, how do we step into that as well? That's, that's my editing. You could take it or leave it. The last thing that we have in this Aliyah is it's a, it's a long, we're still talking about the nuzzer and chapter six, verse 22, very, very famous. What do we have? Hashem says to Moshe, saying, speak to, the speak to Aaron and his children and tell them, so shall, you speak, so shall you bless the children of Israel and say to them, right? Right? 
So the Birchus Kohanim is actually right here. An interesting bit of trivia is that when a Kohen does, when a Kohen does any kind of Kohen mitzvah, chapter 6, verse 20, it starts from 22, it starts from 22, from 22 to 27, that when a Kohen does a mitzvah, a Kohen mitzvah, not just a mitzvah like we all do, um, they so if you ever hear the Kohanim, what they, the bracha that they say, because that's the only thing that we hear today, because they don't eat truma, but it says, like every bracha starts, Hashem, bless you, Hashem, Elokeinu Melcholam, Asher Kiddeshanu, the Kedusha Seishel Aaron, who sanctified us with the holiness of Aaron, V'tzivanu levarach es Amma Yisrael bi'ahava, and commanded us to, to bless the Jewish people with love. And it's very interesting that a Kohen who does not love his community or whose community does not love him is not allowed to bless them. He's not allowed to get up to bless the people in a community where he does not like them or they do not like him. Very interesting, very powerful. Um, and we see- But how, do you, like, how does that work now? Go to another show? <laughs> I don't know how to actually work. What, which, which part? How do- like, our job isn't to our job isn't to say we don't love you get out of our show. Well, you have to be honest about it. I mean, generally, like people know when pe- you know people like you know what no that's one person who's like it. right it's, whatever. So right. I so he would be like I don't like this community, and then they could all know that because he wouldn't get up and bless anything. He could well, be yeah. Would probably know. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's I don't think it's so subtle. I don't think it's ever so subtle. Okay. And nobody's saying you we don't love you get out don't don't do here. Like if like if he doesn't get it then he, we're not kicking him out. But um uh so first of all I think it's very important that when we give Hashem's bracha to people, uh whether we're kohanim or we as you know Israel people like to give brachas, that it has to be coming from a place of love. It can't become it can't be coming from a place of judgment and anger. But the brachas that Hashem is giving us is specifically brachas that are coming from a place of love. And uh, and there's a whole conversation about the brachas, which we are not getting into now, because guess what? Shockingly enough, we're out of time. Um, so we, there's, okay. We did not get into the the whole situation with the, the gifts of the Nisim. I'm going to give it to you quick. I'm going to give it to you very quickly, okay? Basically, what happens is that the Nisim give, the, the, the leaders give two kinds of gifts. The first thing that they give is a half a wagon and one ox. That means every two Nisim together gave, an, gave, a wag, gave a wagon and the oxen to pull the wagon. Half an ox? Technically. No, no, no. A full ox and a half a wagon. So there's two oxen. So there's two, two oxen at each one. Yeah. So two gave a wagon together and each of them gave an ox. Okay. So that means they gave a total of six oxen and 12, no, six wagons and 12 oxen. And the sages are like, cheapskate. <laughs> That's my word. That's not their word. Like, really? You couldn't give a whole wagon? What's the big deal? Why couldn't you give a whole wagon? Like, it's not like they were being like stingy about their gifts. So that's the first thing. And the next thing that happened was every single Nussi on a specific day, starting from Rosh Chodesh Nisan, gave 35 different gifts to the, to the Mishkan. Flour and silver bowls and, and, and sacrifices. And they all gave exactly the same thing. They all give and they, they give the exact the exact same thing. Now, what's very interesting is that we today commemorate the giving of those gifts of by the Nisim from the first twelve days of Nisan. It's a minor holiday. We don't say any tachan on those days because we 
repeat the gifts that were given every single day. Okay. And we also say, we say a blessing at the end of each time to say, if I'm from this tra- the shade, I should get all the, the emanations and all the spiritual things that are coming from this trade, this, tra- from this tribe. And it should be my, dude, they gave the exact same thing. Right. So the Rebbe talks about what does Jewish unity really look like? What does Jewish unity, is Jewish unity conformity? We all gave exactly the same thing. Or is there something bigger to Jewish unity? Or are there more than, is there more than one part to it? This is actually from a talk that the Rebbe gave to, to children in the beginning of Sivan in, in 1982. And, um, and the Rebbe talked about the idea that, first of all, the reason, practically speaking, the reason they gave a half a wagon each was because those wagons were then given to the sons of, of Levi to carry their, their load. So six of the six, two went to Merari, sorry, two went to Gershon for the curtains and four went to Merari for all the heavy things. Um, Kahas doesn't get any because they have the holy items they carried on their shoulders. And the, and, and the, and, and the Mepharshim explained that that was all that they needed in order to pack every single space. You had to put in all the boards perfectly and it would all fit here. Now, in general, in a mission, some of these things are rich and, and vibrant, but not wasteful. Every single inch of space has to be used. And for us, every bit of talent that we have has to be used for Hashem. We have, we can't say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, do you ever see some people who pack suitcases and then if somebody comes and repacks them, like you can now put, put like a, a ton more things in? We, we, we're not packing our lives for God haphazardly, just like throw it all in and however it works. It all has to, every single space has to be used for Hashem. So that's why they only gave six because they didn't need more than that. But the other thing is that, and this is what the Reverend was highlighting, is that we have to understand that Jewish unity has two parts. Part A is that we need each other. A half a wagon, nishta is a helpful, right? You can't do anything with a half a wagon. But if I combine my talents with your talents and together we have something that's amazing and working and the same thing. And so that's, that's the wagon part. But the other thing in the Medrash actually goes into a very, 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 very long exposition, well, not an exposition, but like an explanation, how every single, every single head of tribe, when they gave their carbon had different intentions. This one, Yehuda was talking about learning to uh, learning Torah and this was, and no, Yehuda was talking about Malchus and Yisachar was Torah. And this one, everybody had different, I, different motivation for whatever it was that they were doing. And even though, and this is what they have highlighted over here, even though we sometimes look like we're all doing or bringing the exact same thing, the fact of the matter is that when our motivations are different, the whole thing is different. And who I am gets brought to the table. It doesn't matter if I light the candles and you light the candles and it looks like we're doing the same thing. But the way we do it, our back end to our mitzvah is what makes it so, 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 so valuable to the extent that we don't just say, everybody bring your sacrifice on the same day. All 12, everybody come the same day. Or every single one was given their own platform, their own space, their own day to shine and to say, this is what it's all about. And really, Jewish unity is about both of those pieces. The place of A, we need each other, but B, who am I and what am I bringing to the table? Because that's very, very, very important. I want to give us one last bracha before we leave. This Shabbos is Shavuos, and, uh, and the Torah is going to be given. I once took one of my kids to hear the, the Ten Commandments in Shul, and they're like, they're like, wait, 
they were waiting for God's voice. And like, they were very disappointed that it was only Yoni who reads the Torah every single week. They were not so impressed with that. I'm like, the Torah is going to be given. And now the question is, are we going to show up to receive? So the bracha that, that uh, the Hasidim always give for Shavuos is that it should be Kabbalat HaTorah B'Simchah We should receive the Torah with joy and with such an inner, an inner space and to really make it so part of us. So that's really the bracha that's given in this parsha of Yivarechah is our first bracha. And the second bracha is that we should accept the Torah. We should, it will be given. It might, we might not hear God's voice booming out the Ten Commandments, but it's go, that energy of being given and gifted Torah is coming to us this Sunday at a synagogue near you. Um, and we should please be you know, we should be ready. We should we should make our vessels ready to be able to receive what is going to be given to us. And we should do it with joy and we should do it in a real internal manner. Have an awesome rest of the day. Have a great Shabbos and a Chag Sameach.